0: As you find your seats, would you be opening to the book of John? John chapter 10 is where we find ourselves today again. Donna did a masterful job last week as she taught the third great I am saying of the Lord Jesus Christ when he said, I am the door of the sheep. Now, I just thought I'd go ahead and tell you this on the front end. My lesson is 18 pages long. (laughs) So anybody in here think I'm going to get through it? I am telling you, I am about to go into hyper speed and speak as never before with a rate that you are going to have to listen closely to hang on. But God has so much that He wants to speak. Last night I sat down, I tried to edit it, and y'all, it got longer and longer and longer. Mr. Shotnell always prays for me before I leave in the morning. This morning he said, Baby, I fear you have way more to say than you have time for. And I said, I tried, I tried to. I did, I did. But I'm asking the Lord to edit my words that I might speak the words that he has for all of us. But beloved, this is a glorious chapter in the Gospel of John, John chapter 10. And so we know that Jesus is the master storyteller, and he understood the power of utilizing a commonplace image to unlock the mysteries of heaven. And he does it so carefully and beautifully in John chapter Chapter 10, begin reading with me, if you will. Let's start in verse 7. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And so the first thing I want to show you as we're studying Jesus the good shepherd as is represented here by this adorable sheep and staff. The first thing I want you to see is how he immediately warns us about the enemy. Look in verse 11. Uh, or excuse me, in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Now, beloved, we often use this as a reference to the enemy of our soul. We often attribute these qualities to Satan, and rightly so. But in context, beloved, he is using this to describe the Pharisees who were supposed to be God's shepherd of God's chosen sheep in Israel, but who were in reality leading them astray. They were false shepherds. And so he's saying, you are thieves and robbers. And you're going to see that he calls them hirelings as well. So he warns us there's an enemy and the enemy has come to destroy, to kill sheep. So we must be so very careful and beloved. Let me just tell you that what his word is, I believe for us today, is that we might increase Bible literacy among ourselves. The flock of God must know God's word. This is what protects us from error when you and I get into the word and the word of God gets into us, amen? That's what he's saying to us today. Every one of us are in danger of being drawn away By false teaching, if we do not filter everything through this book, and beloved, you cannot, you cannot obey what you do not know. And in these days when wickedness is just being poured out, oh, he is calling us to deeper and deeper knowledge and understanding of the word of God. He says, the thief kills, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. The thief kills, Jesus gives life. Well, the next thing I want you to see as I move very quickly along is what I call the good shepherd, the second point. And he says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Oh, beloved, he's moving now into the gospel message you recall that when John the baptizer introduced him proclaimed his presence that he said behold the Lamb of God Who takes away the sin of the world. Don't you understand that Orthodox Jews were very, very familiar with the sacrifices at the tabernacle and the temple. Through oral history, they knew that thousands and thousands and thousands of blood sacrifices had been offered. And all of those pointed forward to the coming of Messiah, the Lamb of God. And Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. He uses the word shepherd because this was such familiar imagery for them, but he, he uses the word good to describe him. We see both his deity and his humanity in this title, the good shepherd. He sacrifices, first of all, his life for the sheep. Beloved, this is the story of Calvary. He has come to be the substitutionary sacrifice and at atonement, the once for all time sacrifice for sin. And he's standing in front of the Pharisees and they are blinded by religious ritual. Donna said last week that religion blinds and binds. And we're seeing how very true that is when the Son of the living God, the Lamb of God, living water, bread of life, light of the world is standing in front of them and they will not believe. He's giving them every opportunity. And it's not that they cannot, it is stubbornly that they will not. Because they are looking for a military king that will throw off the yoke of Rome. And because of that, they're just so blinded in all their religious religious ritual. But Christ died an atoning death, beloved, to redeem us from sin. The Bible says, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Oh, beloved, this is amazing grace. This is agape love. This is the gospel. And this is glory revealed. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the one who came to lay down my life. He goes on, beloved, look down in verse 14. He says again, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Oh, beloved, intimate knowledge, the good shepherd knows every one of us individually and all of us corporately. Oh, what a glorious truth. And he says he is unlike the hired hand. Look back at verse 12. I skipped over that. He stays with the sheep. He says the hired hand is not a shepherd. He is not the owner of the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them away and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand. And again, that's a veiled reference to the Pharisees who are leading the people astray and says they're not even concerned, the hired hand. He's not even concerned about the sheep. So the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. The good shepherd stays with the sheep. The good shepherd sees his sheep and he seeks his sheep. He goes on to say, look in verse 16, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become like one flock with one shepherd. Now, beloved, this is a reference to the Gentiles who will be swept into the kingdom of God. And this this is probably the thing that made them the maddest. Because they were trusting in their ancestral heritage, their relationship, With Abraham, they believed themselves to be Abraham's son and that that Jewish DNA was enough to find favor with God. And now the Lord Jesus is saying there's other sheep, in other words, outside the chosen people of of Judaism, and they're going to be swept into the kingdom. Oh, it infuriated them, infuriated them. Almost worse, perhaps. Then what they believed was blasphemy. He's seeking other sheep and is one who was sought out by the shepherd 40 years ago. Praise God. Praise God. The invitation is open today as it was then whosoever will may come. He didn't come to die simply for one group. The Bible says he died for the sins of the whole world. John wrote in 1 John chapter 2, he is the propitiation for sin, not our sins only, but the sins of the whole world. He died for everybody, but not everyone will believe. There are those who will stubbornly reject and resist the wooing of the Spirit, even as the Pharisees did. He's about the business of seeking lost sheep. And if you're here today and you don't know him, may I just tell you with all the authority of the word of God, he is coming after you. He is coming after you. He wants you in his flock. He wants you in his fold. And through me, he is pleading with you to consider the claims of Christ. Oh, Oh, won't you come? Your good shepherd is seeking you this morning. And finally, I want you to see what is probably, although I do say this often, but I believe I mean it this time. This is probably one of my very favorite passages. He secures the sheep. Not only is he seeking more sheep, he secures his sheep. Look down in verse 27. The sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one can snatch them. That's a violent snatching away. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. He secures his sheep, this beloved, It's one of the clearest passages, although there are others, that promise us that part of the gift of our salvation is not just the forgiveness of sins. Praise God for that. Not just the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but beloved heaven, when we die, this is eternal life. And it begins at the moment of our conversion, where we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. He is given as the down payment, beloved, that we belong to him. And listen to me, it ought to show up in our lives every which way. Wherever we go, in the home, in the marketplace, in the business world, wherever we are, it should show that we belong to Jesus Christ. He is our shepherd, and we are one of his sheep. And how we need to rest in the eternal security of the believer, but beloved, it must never become an excuse for sin. Do you hear me? We are living in a culture that is teaching. You can name the name of Jesus and live any way you want to, and I tell you, that does not square up with the Word of God. It does not. It does not. He has called us out of this world. We are not part of this world. We live in this world. But, beloved, this is, this is not our home. Praise God. Praise God. We're just passing through, passing through. And I declare this generation, if we're not standing and watching this world unravel in unprecedented, unprecedented ways, I, I just don't know. I, I just don't even know what, what to even say about some of the things that are happening. But this I will tell you in Christ. We can have a personal relationship with him. He is the good shepherd who has come to lay down his life for the flock. We can have a permanent relationship with him. Having come through the door of the sheep, he is our good shepherd. And we can have, beloved, a protected relationship because he has put us in his hand. And the Father has placed his hand over Jesus' hand. And I tell you, that is security. That is security. In Christ, in Christ, we are secure not only that beloved Jesus also then asserts his deity and as you can only imagine the Jews that are hearing him including the Pharisees and others who are around listening to this monologue as he is proclaiming himself to be the door of the sheep and the Good Shepherd beloved you can only imagine the escalating anger they're furious with him and as I said not just because they believe he is blaspheming as he speaks of his oneness with the Father, but because he's even suggesting that salvation has come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. Are oh, they hated him for that. I want you to see in these closing verses what I call the sovereign shepherd beginning in verse 22 and I'm simply going to summarize this passage Jesus uh, asserts his deity in verse 30 he says I and the father are one and the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And beloved, were it not for God's divine hand of restraint, they would have stoned him. Of course, the scriptures declared that he would be crucified and his time was not at hand. And God restrained them, but they kept on badgering him because they refused to believe he was who he declared himself to be. And ultimately, he slipped away again. The father was able to allow him to be uh, to move away without being uh, seized as they desired to be. In verse 40, it says he went away beyond the Jordan to a place where John had begun to baptize, and he was staying there. And many came to him. Oh, he went to a place and began to continued rather to teach and preach, and the ministry of John the Baptist was continuing. Even though John was now home with the Lord, the ministry continued and many came to the saving knowledge of Christ. And beloved, now we're just drawing so very close to the cross. And I believe that this was the last respite that the Lord had before facing down the cross in just a few months. Beloved, as I studied over this incredible imagery of the good shepherd, I kept getting drawn to Psalm 23. And so I would like for you to turn over to Psalm 23. I just don't think we can pass this chance up to be in this precious psalm just six verses written by David who himself was a shepherd but perhaps you've noticed this it was sort of new to me just with fresh eyes I realized that David wrote this not as a shepherd although he was one but not from that perspective but the perspective of his sheep he was identifying with me and you who are part of the flock of the Lord Jesus Now, I was trying to get some extra information this morning, actually about what wild animals lived in Israel during the time of, uh, in ancient Israel during biblical times. And I read this in Google. It's just so, it's just too rich not to share. Although I've just got to say, don't believe everything you read in Google. Uh, It's not, it's not never been my primary source or even secondary source of information. I was just trying to find out about wild animals. But here's what it said. How do sheep behave without a shepherd a sheep that walks into water over its depth will just stay there not even trying to walk out which it could easily do it's too dumb (laughs) to realize that it can't breathe water and so unless someone jumps in to save it it will drown so no sheep cannot live without a shepherd now, I give Google zero credit. But I want to tell you, that's the truth right there. That's the truth right there. We're like sheep, and we need a shepherd. The good shepherd was not only the door of the sheep, but the savior of the sheep. That's what John 10 is all about. Sheep do not just take care of themselves. I read this, that more than any other class of livestock, they require endless attention and meticulous care in order to survive and thrive. Anybody stepping in that and owning that this morning? No other class of livestock requires more careful handling, more detailed direction than sheep, for heaven's sakes. I spent a good bit of time reading or really rereading a book by W. Philip Keller called The Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And y'all, I want to encourage you to read it. I want to tell you over and over again, I'd have to just stop and just have to sit with that for a minute. Just so rich, so rich as he draws parallels between physical sheep and the flock of God. But this is one of my favorite quotes. It's no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways. Our mass mind, our mob instincts, our fear and timidity, our stubbornness and stupidity, our perverse habits, they're all parallels of profound importance. Anybody out there prepared to say amen? That is right. Praise God, we have a good shepherd. Praise God. Well, look with me, if you will, in Psalm 23, and we're just going to spend a few minutes unpacking this. The first thing I want you to see is what I called the preeminence. For David writes this The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord. I want you to notice that phrase, the Lord. Lord is a translation of one of the primary names for God in the Old Testament. This is the name Jehovah. And I was listening to one of Dr. Rogers' sermons. or Excuse me, I actually was reading a text of it. And it was called... Let me think for a second. It was called The Secret to Satisfaction. And this is a direct quote of Dr. Rogers. He said, this name, referring to Jehovah, was so sacred to the Jewish people that some Bible historians say it was only pronounced once a year when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and whisper the name Jehovah. The Jews fairly never spoke the name audibly. When a Jewish scribe was writing the scripture, when he would come to the word Jehovah, he would put down the pen, get a brand new quill just to write the name Jehovah, the great, awesome, covenant keeping God, the self existing one, the great I am. This is who David is saying is my shepherd, the Lord. The Lord, the Jehovah of the Old Testament, is the Jesus of the New Testament. He is the good shepherd. And I just can only imagine that when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, that all of those Orthodox Jews immediately in their minds went back to Psalm 23, which they would have known frontwards and backwards, known it since they were a child. And Jesus is saying, I am he. I am the one. And David said, oh, the Lord, Jehovah. Jehovah. He is my shepherd. Beloved, that's personal relationship. Jesus offers a personal relationship. Whosoever will may come. Come to me, all you who are weary and tired and worn out. And know you can't possibly do this on your own. So just come to me. I'll give you rest oh the preeminence the personal relationship and the provision beloved he says goes on to say still in verse 1 i shall not want what david is saying not that i have everything but i have everything i need because of jesus the scripture says delight yourself in the lord he'll give you the desires of your heart most people think that means a bigger house and a new car beloved what that means is jesus Jesus he will make Jesus the desire of your heart and when that happens you will find soul satisfaction in Christ and Christ alone I tell you I've walked with him for 40 years and he has never failed me yet the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want He will break the attraction of anything of this world. I was thinking about the things I've craved through my lifetime, even once I came to know the Lord. And as a young mom, i got to tell you what I wanted more than anything in the world was a minivan. Now, I know you millennials, (laughs) they're the bane of your existence, i got to tell you. But back in the day, Oh, they were altogether new. You could pile your children, hundreds of them, up there in that van, just sit up there and drive in that bucket seat. You couldn't even hear them. They were so far back. And I remember wanting a minivan so badly. And I remember that I began to crave it. And I remember understanding with such fresh eyes that I had turned that into an idol. Because the desire of my heart, I'm ashamed to say it, was a stupid minivan. You know, I got a minivan, and it was wrecked when I was hit by a driver from behind on Germantown Road when I'd only had it about a year and a half and nearly killed me. And Mr. Stockdale, uh, God by his very sovereign hand, uh, was able to rescue us from that moment. But I just remember thinking, this thing I've been craving, just look at it now. Big old (laughs) pile of junk. I tell you, if there's anything in your life that you are craving, you are in danger if you have not already of making it into an idol. The Lord is my separate, I shall not want. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me. Beside still waters, I got this from the book Keller wrote, and he said that before a sheep will lay down, there's four things he absolutely has to have or he will not lay down. The first is he must be absolutely free of all fear. He must trust wholly and completely in the shepherd to keep watch over his flock. And when he became fearful, if he could simply lift his eyes and see even the silhouette, shallow, shadowy silhouette of his shepherd leaning on his staff, it would give him such confidence and freedom for fear that he would be able to lay down. He said he also, sheep also had to be free from tension, rivalry, or cruel competition within the flock. Keller said there's a pecking order in goats and sheep and other livestock, just as there is in chickens, which is where we get that uh, terminology. And he said among every flock there were aggressive sheep. And they would torment the other sheep. And the shepherd, get this, would have to discipline those sheep because they would so irritate the less aggressive sheep that the less aggressive ones would begin to stop eating. They would lose weight. If they were carrying a lamb, they often would lose the lamb. They would become tortured by the aggression of the other sheep, and they would not be able to lay down and rest. They would be edgy, tense, discontented, and restless. Furthermore, they had to be free from being tormented by flies or parasites. Turns out, sheep are particular targets for irritating flies, especially around their face. The rest of their bodies tends to be coated with these heavy fleeces, but their face is very tender and exposed, and these terrible parasites and flies would just irritate them. And uh, uh, Keller said, if you were not careful, they could so um, uh, um, begin to cause such infestation that it would blind a sheep if it wasn't tended to carefully by the Shepherd. And not only that, the sheep would be almost driven mad by the incessant buzzing and biting if the shepherd did not tend to the sheep. And sometimes they would begin to stampede and he said, sheep are so timid that one sheep, just one, that would take off running might get as many as 12 stirred up running frantically after him and often it would result in either dead sheep or broken limbs. They would not be able to lay down. He said that they would stay on their feet, stamping their legs, shaking their heads, rubbing their faces against brush and rocks. dangerous for sheep. And finally, he said they had to be absolutely free from hungry, from hunger. They would stay up on their feet constantly searching after food. So this beloved is what I call peace. He, li- he leads us, verse 2, beside still waters and makes us lie down in green pastures. Verse 3, he restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Beloved, that is what I call purpose. God walks us through The purpose and path that he has for us. It goes on to say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Beloved, that's protection. That's protection. What the psalmist is saying is no matter what, the good shepherd is with his sheep. What Keller says that uh, David is referring to here is during the summer months, the shepherd would move his flock up to the high places where there was better grazing for them. As fall would come, he would begin to return them back down to level ground. But during this time, he would not have a hired hand with him. He would go uh, by himself and he would take his sheep. In order to get them to the high places, he would take them, beloved, through the valleys. Because they were well watered and they could store up water and they could store up lush pasture land there in the valleys. But as he's walking them through these valleys, he is well aware, well aware of the predators that are all around him. That's the picture here. But he is our protection. And then he goes on to say, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows in order to combat those insects. What the shepherd would do is carefully cradle the, the face, the head of his sheep, and he would pour oil upon the head of the sheep, and it would make it impossible for the flies and the pests and the parasites to get through to his beloved sheep. What a, what a picture, what a picture. And he's careful to prepare a table. Before me in the presence of my enemies, what David is saying is predators are all around. And I want to tell you something. When you go through a difficult time and you have decided that you are going to follow Jesus and draw up close, I believe when life falls apart and we draw up close to the table of communion face-to-face with our Savior, that he makes Satan watch it. Just like when Satan... Went to God about Job. He said, see, see my, you see my man, Job? He belongs to me. He's a righteous man. I believe it's the same picture that he forces Satan and all of his army of demons to watch it. When rather than walking away from Christ, we just come up in close. We lean into the good shepherd. We sit at the table of fellowship and we commune in his presence. And it sickens the enemy of our soul. And finally, the last thing it says in verse 6, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Beloved, that is permanence, permanence. It begins by saying the shepherd leads, the shepherds of Israel were out ahead of their flock, they led their flock. But here what David is saying is the Lord surrounds us with his presence. He is leading from the front, but he is our rear guard as well. And we are dwelling in the shadow of the Almighty, in the shelter of the Most High. He gives us the spirit of God to dwell within us as we try to walk this pilgrim's path. But I tell you, there is coming the day. There is coming the day when we will see him face to face, when he will usher us through the veil, either by death or rapture of the church, and there he'll be. And John goes on to say in 1 John, we don't know, beloved, what in the world we're going to look like, what that's going to be like, but this much we know, when we see him, we will be like him. That is glory revealed. That is the good shepherd who today is inviting anyone outside personal relationship with Christ to receive, believe, repent of your sins and come, come into the flock of God. The good shepherd is calling for you. And for those of us who know him, I tell you what he's calling us is to go higher with him. To quit being satisfied with the shallows, get out in the deep. No matter what, the good shepherd leads and guides us. Beloved, let's pray. Jesus, thank you, thank you. You are the good shepherd. You have revealed yourself to us as the good shepherd, the one who lays down his life for the flock. Oh, Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. That though you despised the shame of it, you were willing to go through it, that you might redeem one like me. You paid for the sins of the whole world. Father, the cross is not the end. Resurrection and ascension followed. How grateful we are that our good shepherd sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. And the Bible says he ever lives to make intercession for us. So, Father, I'm asking that you pray for us as we bring this lesson to a close, that these truths would just be seared into our hearts and minds, that we would begin to walk in obedience to them, and that we would fall madly in love with you all over again, our good shepherd, that we might prove to be good sheep in the flock of God. This, Father, this is glory revealed. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.